Welcome to Loaded Sport. Hello and welcome to Loaded Sport. Tonight's episode is sponsored by The Number Six. Not only because this is episode six of Loaded Sport, but also because it's the number of goals that England put past Iran in their opening game of the World Cup. Woo! We've got plenty to get <laughs> We've got plenty to get into and we'll cover everything from the excitement and the hope it brings to that it's only Iran, so don't get carried away, as well as discussing some of your thoughts. Now, before we get through all that and more from this weekend's sport in action, I just want to take a moment to mention that this weekend we had International Men's Day, a day in which we acknowledge men's positive impact on the world. Over the weekend, we set up the Loaded Sport Community Forum on Facebook, a place where not just our listeners, but anyone can find a safe space to discuss sport from around the world and connect with other people. I'm very lucky to have my co-hosts and others to fall back on when I'm not when I'm having a bad day, should I say? But we understand that not everyone has that. Some people feel alone because they don't feel like they can open up to those around them. But we live in a digital world, and no matter how alone you may feel, there's always someone out there who will be able to listen. So just know that if you are a part of the community, you are never alone. With that said, it's time to get stuck into episode six. And before I can do that, I need to introduce my co-host. And for the first time ever, we have a full house. Joining me tonight, first of all, we have got Adam. Adam, how you doing, mate? I'm very good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. How was your weekend? It was very good, thanks. Mine was good as well, thanks for asking. <laughs> second, of, <laughs> second of all, we've got Mudge. Mudge, how you doing? Hey, mate, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? We're a bit gutted you're on loss, to be honest, mate. Didn't you? Really? Motherland. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah. I'm obviously excited. I want to keep my British passport, so yeah, go England. But uh, yeah, they were solemn, solemn night. Yeah, it's fine, mate. You'll. Uh, I'm sure you'll have a couple of sleepless nights, and then you'll you'll get over it. Ready for game day two in Group B. Uh, Kemp, how are you? Man with the mic, you little Philly cheese stick. You, I want to put my meat between your buns. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, right. How are you? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. How's, how's your day been? You're yeah, a bit right. tired today, aren't you? Bit tired, bit tired, but you know, Monday blues, but ready to attack the week. Yeah, that's it, mate. That's it. And, and attack this podcast, mate. I can't wait for you to have killed everyone's hopes uh, <laughs> by the time we're done after today's positive win. And last, but certainly by no means least, lads, can I get a drum roll, please? That'll do. Uh, for the first time on Loaded Sport, we've got Sam joining us. How are you doing, mate? Hello. Yes, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Been eager to get on. Yes, I, I know you have, but you know, I'm not going to feel too sorry for you that you've missed the first five <laughs> episodes. You've uh, you've been living and loving life in Orlando for for the last couple of weeks. Talk us through your time away, mate. What were the highlights? Highlights. Uh, so first day. Went into the Magic Kingdom of Disney, um, had a potter about there, did a couple of the other parks, and then about midway through the holiday, I was actually hit by a big, fat hurricane, which was a bit miserable. Hurricane Nicole. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, a couple of days we were hunkered down in the room, didn't really do too much. And then once that passed, we uh, resumed play, went back to uh, the uh, Universal side of it and did a couple of them parks as well. I must say, shout out to... The best ride I've ever been on. It's the Guardians of the Galaxy ride in Epcot. Yeah. 
honestly, best rider I've been on. Katie, I mean, she's a bit of a thrill seeker compared to me. I'm a bit wimpish. Yeah, but, shit bag on roller coasters, aren't you? Terrible, absolutely terrible. Because it's heights, you see. But because that's an indoor coaster, and it's like you're coasting through space, you can't really see where you are. Brilliant. And she, even she said it's the best one she's ever been on. So that's told you everything, really. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. What were the, uh, what were the food highlights? Oh, highlight of the food, it would be shout out to Chris Marina because I went to Longhorn Steakhouse. I don't really mention this in the chat, but that was by far the best meal I had that holiday. And I had a surf and turf, just a little six ounce filet or filet mignon, as they say, which was oh. cooked to perfection. And lobster, first time ever trying lobster. And yeah, just like a garlic butter on top, and it was some asparagus with it and a bit of mac and cheese quality really good yeah shout, shout out chris chris marina one mm. yes tim bob that man does not fuck about when it comes to food no 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 always got a recommendation on hand no matter where in the world you may be going Absolutely. but yeah re- really happy to have you mate as as we all are and we're excited to get into this episode and i'm sure we'll uh, we'll get caught up and, and get the listeners caught up on a lot of your thoughts about some of the things going off in the sporting world at the moment so yeah, man. let's let's crack on now, we're recording this on Monday night, and currently USA lead Wales with about 15 minutes or so to go, 1-0. Um, but there is only one place to start, and that is England's performance today in Doha versus Iran. Two goals from Bakayev Saka, and a goal each from Jude Bellingham, Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, and Jack Grealish led England starting off their campaign with a 6-2 win. Adam, I'm going to start with you, mate. You have been the biggest proponent of anyone, the biggest shout of it's coming home what a start for the lads talk us through your thoughts uh, yeah absolutely 6-2 win against Iran we all kind of had the expectation that we were going to start off with a win we should ease through these group stages at the moment like you say USA against Wales don't think either of those sides are really doing anything that we could consider that's going to be an issue for us I think against Iran as a team the work we were doing off the ball as well as what we we're doing with the ball when we come up against tougher opposition, I think we'd still get similar sort of opportunities for us. Maybe the the, the finishes won't be the same, but the fact that, like you said, with Saka, uh, his second goal, he was very composed. When Rashford came on, his goal was very composed. We seemed very confident in what we were doing pushing forward as well. I think with Maguire and Sterling, two players that I think when we spoke on the World Cup podcast, neither none of us really thought should have been within uh, the starting lineup for England. I don't think either of those two really did anything wrong. I know Maguire hit the crossbar still and, of course, scored as well. Both of those will get a lot of confidence from that, exactly. So they they silenced some of the critics there as well. I think defensively, we were quite solid. I think we fell asleep maybe once and it it led to a goal. The penalty decision still baffles me a little bit. I I can see why it was given as a penalty, but I think VAR consistencies means that we should have also had a penalty for the manhandling of Aaron Maguire in the first half. So the fact that one was given and one wasn't, Granted, in a 6-2 win, you're not going to complain too much about it. But if that's against somebody else and it costs you the game, it's a completely different story. But as a team, we were calm, composed. We had a lot of confidence in us there. We've got players who trust each other now. And and I think we've got a very good squad to go quite far into this tournament. And I think even against some of the bigger sides, if we've got this sort of confidence that I think some of these players may be lacking before, when you remember Rashford came on to take a penalty against Italy, he won't have been confident because that's the first time he's come on in that tournament. To get players like that on early on in the tournament shows that maybe Southgate's even learned from his own errors in the past. Getting some more of your players a little bit confident heading into 
later on in the tournament if you need to rely upon them. I know Harry Kane left the stadium today with his ankle wrapped. Maybe that's something that, that if we do need to worry about, Wilson came on, got an assist. That's something that we can look at. And he's got a little bit of confidence out of that, a bit of game time experience that maybe last year against Panama, I think Harry Kane played the full 90. So it shows that Southgate's maybe learnt a little bit from his mistakes and hopefully it'll give these players the confidence when we do come up against tougher opposition. I reckon we can wrap up there, can't we? Adam's just covered literally the entire game. Yes, well, tr- trust me, don't, <laughs> you know we're going to get into different opinions on this very soon and, and that's the that's the perk of loaded sport. But uh, a question just follow up that, Adam. You mentioned there about Harry Kane leaving the stadium and, and naturally you would assume that Callum Wilson would be the next in line as that out-and-out striker, that man up top. But Marcus Rashford came on today, he's performed very well for Manchester United when he's played uh, as that front man. He scored less than a minute after coming onto the field. Do you think there's an argument for Rashford to be next in line as the man up top ahead of Callum Wilson? Should Kane miss a bit of time over the next game, maybe two, depending on how severe that ankle injury is? It depends on what sort of approach you want to go for it. I think there's certainly an argument there for why you would start Rashford over Wilson. And I think a lot of people have probably backed that argument that Rashford should be the one that's starting over him. To be fair, I'd probably agree with you. But thinking of how Wilson came into the game and the fact that if you're using somebody with the last 20, 25 minutes of the game to go, you want somebody with that energy that Rashford has. Wilson's got a similar sort of style to Kane, I think, when he's up front. He's kind of the bully for defenders, isn't he, that can, can hold the ball up and play that similar sort of style with that Kane would. And Rashford has a similar sort of style to what Saka does and, and what Sterling and Foden uh, on the wings would would bring. So I think if you're going to go for a similar sort of style of, of using the energy towards the end, especially in this heat, yeah, you've got to look towards not necessarily starting Rashford. If you're looking for getting goals early on and putting the game to bed and, and using that energy from the very beginning, then yeah, possibly looking towards Rashford. Fair enough, fair enough. Sam, I'm going to come to you now for your, your first bit of input into loaded sport. Talk us through your, your pre-match thoughts. You didn't get to cover them in the World Cup preview. You know, we've spoken a lot in the chats, but just to fill the listeners in, give us a little bit of an insight into where your head was at before the tournament and also mm-hmm. what your thoughts are coming out of the game today. Yeah, so obviously with the, the preparation, it wasn't ideal facing Germany, Italy and Hungary and not picking up a win in six. I was uh, quite doubtful on uh, Sir Gareth and calling for his head, I must admit. But game one, this seemed to have turned a bit of a corner. We'll see how, how, how you know far we go down that route. But if it is just a matter of being Iran then so be it. I must admit, the highlight of the game for me was about the, I think it was about 50 minutes in. This is in the first half, and it was you hear the chant from, are oh, you Scotland in disguise from the England fans, and it were 3-0 at the minute. That was probably the highlight of my game. It's, uh, it was a shame that Kane couldn't get on the score sheet, but I think he added a lot to it. And, couldn't get on the yeah. score sheet, mate. He, couldn't, he didn't have a shot. I don't know what it is. Bet365 offered a, a bet booster Kane to have a shot on target from one to seven to evens. What is it about any time a bookies offers any kind of bet like that? <laughs> it does not come in. There is some kind of conspiracy. And for any people that are linked to any bookies that might end up listening to this, I'm on to you because I'm not having that. <laughs> one to of, seven to evens. I've actually Sorry. got the name of the conspiracy theorist behind all that. Go on. And the person whose fault it is that that actually happens. It's a young man, he's based in Brentford, and if you know him, a guy called Ivan Tony. <laughs> right, okay. Is he interfered 232 times by any chance? Also look known as I bet. Look him up, look him up. I, yeah. I've heard rumours um, Qatari uh, royalty paid him off to just not have a ping today. 
quite a welcoming uh, welcoming sight to, to see to see that happening. So, yeah, a good start to the tournament. But at the end of the day, it was Iran. We'll, we'll see how we, we go on from there. Fair enough. And you mentioned you know, it'd be a better sign of, of what's to come based on what happens on Friday. What kind of result or what kind of performance for you personally would make you think, you know, get that energy going and, you know, maybe, just maybe, this this could be the one. What what would you expect to see on Friday for that to happen? Mate, genuinely, I think out of our group, we need to be getting nine points. I think in terms of if we consider ourselves to, to be at that level of the, the Brazils and the Argentinas to maybe kind of challenge for the World Cup, we have to get nine points out of this group because... I don't think anyone in that group is on our level in terms of like team depth and quality. And uh, if we're beating Iran 6-2, I expect us to maybe beat the US by two goals. Uh, and I expect us to beat Wales by two to three goals as well. So, yeah, I think we should be taking nine points out of our group if we're, if we're serious about winning this one. Yeah, they had a lot of energy going forward and, and were quite exciting to see once they got into that attacking third. So, yeah, definitely. Especially teams against USA and Wales that might be a bit more, they might be set out to be a bit more attacking and not sit as deep as Iran did, especially with the score draw that's currently on the board, nine minutes added on. So plenty of time for someone to get a winner. But if they come out of this game with a draw, they'll definitely be more attacking, thinking that they're going to have to push for three points to stand the best chance of getting out of the group stages, which should only play into uh, into England's hands with the pace they've got up top. So that's fine. Now, I'm pretty excited. I, I was very excited, very impressed by the performance. Yes, it is only a run, but you can only beat what's in front of you. I was expecting a, an efficient performance where they got the three points. But as I just said there, I thought they were very exciting to watch going forward. And, and even outside of the goals, some of the passing plays were much more energetic. Jude Bellingham was absolutely phenomenal in the middle of the park. It's someone that can get forward and join that attacking third as opposed to Calvin Phillips, who, no offence to, to him, is very much more of a get the ball and distribute and stays in that middle of the park alongside a Declan Rice. So that, that extra attacking element definitely, for me, made a difference today. So now we're all excited. Now we, we seem to have that little bit more of a glimmer of hope about our chances going into this summer. I'm going to pass it on to Kemp now to destroy all that with his, as usual, <laughs> pessimistic opinions about England and more specifically, a Sir Gareth Southgate-led England. So, Kemp, over to you, mate. I honestly think you are so rude. You're just so rude about me, just because I've got an opinion that differs. Honest to God, from what I saw today, and as I mentioned, I was unfortunately in a meeting at work, so I couldn't give it my full undivided attention. I didn't take half the day off like some people had not to uh, watch the football. But from what I saw, it was very positive. From what I saw, it was very exciting. And I, I sort of parrot what you just said there about Jude Bellingham. I think both you've said it, Dawson, and you've said it, Morge. I think he's very, very exciting. And I think he's going to be a, a superstar in years to come. It's a very exciting team. And this is what I've been screaming out for. Let's play very exciting football. Previous tournaments, we've we've had the same really core squad that we've got in this tournament, and it's been dreary. It's been two holding centre mids. It's been you know five at the back on occasions, and it's been dead. So the fact that we've really put in a shift today and, and look fantastic is very very positive, and and I'm very very happy with the score. Even though you boys for some reason seem to think that I like England to lose, which I don't, but I expect it sometimes. I'll never be happy to be more wrong. I'll never be happier to be wrong than if England do really well in this tournament, potentially win it. 
I've never been happier. Well, I've, I, I was happy to be wrong today when we drew, you know, when we didn't draw and we won 6 2. I was delighted to be wrong. But it's Iran. And I get it. It's exciting. We played some fantastic football. But you look at Iran, you look at their players. I'm sure none of you boys heard of any of the Iran players before today's game. They were so poor. I, you, you know, I can't. I can't get too excited because the level of opposition that we played against were really poor. I think I said it earlier that they were League One level. I think League One might be a little bit of a compliment to them. <laughs> they were very, very bad. So while it's very exciting and while I hope England go all the way and, and bring it home, let's just well back a bit. Yes, you can only beat what's put in front of you. Most important thing was the win. We got that and it was emphatic in the end, which is really good. And I'm really happy about that. But let's just hold our horses a little bit and let's not get too excited just yet, boys. That's all I'm going to say on it. I think um, from Iran's standpoint, it was just damage control, wasn't it? They weren't really active or looking for a goal. Uh, they were just almost... Niggly. So niggly, weren't they? Yeah. Um, but you know what? I think um, in terms of this England team, you have to give credit to Southgate in the sense that um, he's got quite a good eye for um, maximising the young players, I think. Um, you know, he's been manager now for three major tournaments. And I think as an England fan, we should be very excited because you've got the likes of Bellingham, who is going to be a superstar, like Kemp said. Saka is looking lively and deadly uh, on that wing. And then he's also, you know, built it around the likes of uh, veterans like Kane and, and Pickford. So, yeah, I think uh, it's, it's exciting because, you know, we, we've got a, a bright future ahead of us, but we're still kind of... Uh, got a good chance of winning it all at this moment in time in the you say that Mudge you say that Mudge and I agree it's exciting we've got some very exciting players Saka Bellingham we stop saying fucking exciting please Jesus <laughs> can I talk we'll put out a post can I talk can I talk can I talk right shut up then if it's exciting no no no, no 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 shut up thank you it's exciting I think we've got some really exciting young players Bellingham as you've mentioned Saka they've, they've both put in a real shift today and I, and I do agree but when you say maximising these players and bringing out the best in these players, in my opinion, the best of these players, especially players like Saka, is going forward. We did that today and we maximised those players today. But I can't credit Southgate for bringing out the best in these players because for the past two tournaments, we've played negative shit football. So I get what you're saying today and I agree today we've brought out the best in these boys. But in the last two tournaments, I absolutely do not think we've done that. And I couldn't disagree more on that one, would you, if I'm honest? I think that's nitpicking there, mate. Oh, you got to remember, a lot, of the time, a lot of the time, you can't put it all on Southgate as well. A lot of these players have been lethargic as well, like in certain games. Like, um, you know, I think we've got to look at it. Like, we can't be living in 2018 or 2020 or 21. I know, but you just referenced the last two tournaments. So the only thing I'm saying is the last two tournaments that you've just brought up and you've just sort of mentioned as... Yeah. In bringing out the best in these players in those tournaments that you mentioned, we were we, we didn't bring out the best in these attacking players. We reached the semi final and a final. I know, but get... we didn't, yeah, but we didn't bring out the best in these players, which is what you've just said. So, well, uh, to, to defend Southgate, though, if if we're if you or we or anyone is going to say slate Southgate for not bringing out the best in these players. Surely, when they're playing at their best, like they have done today, you still have to give credit to Southgate. One hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I do give credit to Southgate today. I think he did a really good job. Like you say, he brought the best out of the players today. And I saw some really exciting football from some really good players. But 
you can't say that he's done that in the past two tournaments because he hasn't brought the best out in these attacking players because we've he's, played he's such negative football. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you played. can't say we've brought out the best in these attacking players when we've played such negative football, in my opinion. I think today it was quite easy for him to go with that attacking option, isn't it? He's, he's playing a team that is obviously studied and he knows they're not very good. So he can afford to play two centre-halves. He can afford to not play Calvin Phillips in the middle and be a bit more adventurous. It's, it's against sides like Friday, USA Friday. Is, are they, are they, is he still going to stick to that? Or is he going to automatically revert back to a three centre half, back to a, a, old mid, a, a second old midfielder? It's I think Iran was a bit of a free shot for him, and I think he's, he's just he's got it right. He has got it right. Agreed. But, Agreed. Yeah. I think you will do us wait and see. I think you also have to look at it in the sense of, um, like a lot of these players. If you're expecting them to play their best football in international tournaments at a young age, you're expecting a lot from them. So. Yeah. You know, like a lot of these players have kind of, um, you can say they're at their peak age, like Rashford now, I'd say is in prime, in in what should be his prime. So we'll, we'll see how he gets on. If Kane is injured, I'd 100% want Rashford up there. I, I think Callum, Callum Wilson is a, is a good player, but I think he's a good impact player. I wouldn't want Wilson starting. I think mm-hmm. have Rashford up there and then have Saka and Sterling on, on the wings and uh, see how that goes. Not having Kane could be a massive loss, I think. I know a lot of people, you know, slate him for dropping a bit deeper, but it actually really worked well today. He dropped deep and he got two assists. Uh, that, that one, <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that one, was it Sterling? Did he play him in and then Sterling like finished it on volley? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, that was just classic Kane's drifting out wide and pinging it in. It, it brings a lot to the team when he does things like that. And I know he gets a lot of stick for it, but. It's another dynamic to his game. Yeah. Rooney did that as well, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah. Kemp's really favourite. <laughs> we've, not got, we've not got enough time in the evening to start covering Kemp's thoughts on a Southgate late England and Wayne Rooney because that's too much negativity for one evening. But <laughs> I that'd think a, I think with a fucking this, nightmare, that, wouldn't it? It would, it would. You, you look at the starting eleven today and, and even the players that came on, these players aren't experienced in terms of, of age as such. There's still a lot of young players in that team. Only Kieran Trippier aged over 30 from the starting 11 um, today. Well, even even for anyone that came on, to be fair, he's the, he's the only player over 30 at 32. But uh, you look at, or Callum Wilson, sorry, is 30. But you look at a lot of the experienced players, they're still very young. Saka was very exciting in the Euros last year and, you know, missed the penalty in the final and had that massive spotlight and pressure on him. He's only 21. Jude Bellingham, again, as we've mentioned, was absolutely phenomenal today. We know he's only 19. Players like Mount, Rice, Rashford, they're, they're all still 25 or, or under. So, you know, it's probably one of the main reasons why Southgate has kept them together and, and picked them mm-hmm. or some of the players over more sort of the informed players, which I know has been slated a lot, is because... They are still of quite a young age, but have got a lot of that sort of bond and, and a tournament experience between them based on uh, the last World Cup and the Euros. But it can pass away. I, I asked the question to Mudge, but I suppose this is a question best aimed at you. But you talked about, yes, they got to the finals in the World uh, in the Euros. Sorry, yes, they got to the semis in, in the last World Cup, but they've, owned, they've not been able to do it against teams that are of sort of a... a same level as them what do England need to do in this tournament other than naturally win it what do they need to do in this tournament to convince you that Southgate is or, or was 
the right man to lead this team? Is it going to take an exciting 3-2 loss against a team like Brazil in the quarters to, for you to go, you know what, they went for it and they just fell short? Like, What do they need to, for you, to do for you to convince you that Southgate is the man to lead this team? You know, that wouldn't be a bad thing. And it, it, it would certainly help in convincing me that Southgate is capable of doing this sort of job. But it wouldn't get me all the way. And I think what would get me all the way is if we got to the semi-final and played against a Brazil or an Argentina, or even if we, it was the quarter-final and we played against, you know, a, a France or somebody like that. Somebody, you know, top five in the tournament, our level or better, and we beat them. We got past them and we beat them. And then we could get knocked out in the semi-final by another fantastic team. But for me, and even though it's not winning the tournament, which I, I'm, I'm sure some some people on this call expected me to say, the only way I'm going to want him to stay is if we win the World Cup. But actually, if we beat a quality team in the quarterfinal, get through to the semi-final, make a really good account of ourselves and then get knocked out, that would fill me with a little bit more confidence that, OK, we've beat a top quality team. We've got this young side now that are playing really exciting brand of football and they're coming into the prime. Let's go ahead for Euro 2024. And I'd actually be quite enthused and, and quite looking forward to that tournament more than I have probably in recent years. Fair enough. Adam? I think the expectations you've got there to say that Southgate's won your, your, your sort of faith if we've got to beat a Brazil. I think if we can get to the point of facing a Brazil, even if we lost to a Brazil side, if we've taken the game to them and we've lost to a side that is generally the better side, I think the main issue that I've had that I've kind of come accustomed to with, with Gareth Southgate is when we scored early against Croatia and when we scored early against Italy, we sat back and we kind of invited the pressure from there. If we score early or even if we don't score at all against Brazil or a side like Brazil and we take the game to them, would that not be enough to, even if we lost that game, would that not be enough to maybe sway your mind a bit? No, because he's still not done the biggest thing that I've got a gripe with him for not doing. And that's for beating a side that actually is going to give up, you know, give a bit of a fight and give a bit of a scrap. And I think that sort of goes hand in hand because I think if we would have played that type of football, you know, and, and carried on attacking and try and put these teams to the sword, I think we'd have beat them anyway. So that's just tactical, that's just a tactical mistake on Southgate's part. And I think if we do go against a Brazil and we do get knocked out, but we play a really fast attacking brand of football, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. And it's progress. And like I just said to Dawson, that would help in convincing me that, you know, might try and tip the scales. But for me, I wouldn't be convinced that Southgate is the person to lead us into the next tournament if we don't get a result or, or knock out one of the big boys in this competition because that's the one thing in the history books that Southgate has not done yet. And I don't think personally he will ever do because he's not got the tactical capability to do so. Just he on the back Germany. of that, Kemp. He beat, he beat Germany last year, didn't he? Yeah, I, 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 I yeah, yeah, I mean, you look at that Germany side, were they Mate, a they're real e top they're side? E or? They're, they're, e they're a competitive side. They were, yeah. I'd, I'd put I, that would, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd 100% go on that one with you. I, I, I think they were quite depleted as a Germany side. I think it was the weakest Germany side that we've seen in a long time, personally. I still think that's a bit of a strong side. They were strong. They were they were young. They were they were young, mixed with a, a lot um, some experience in there as well. I wouldn't say they were weak. They were just uh, kind of yeah, like like in a rebuild mode. But they were still very very good. I wouldn't say they were particularly weak. I just uh, I just say they weren't as strongish Germany side as as the you know as we've seen before. And again, I don't think they were 
are equals. I think a lot of people expected, you know, went into that game a bit apprehensive because it's Germany and it's, you know, it's always a difficult game. But actually, in reality, I, I don't think that many people going into that game thinking we weren't extremely capable of coming out of that with a win. Where would you rank Southgate in terms of England managers ever? Would you put him in top five, top three? You've got to, I think you've got to put him in top five, but that's more of a reflection on the absolute dross that we've had, you know, apart from yeah. Southgate. I mean, England haven't had a very good record with with managers. I think you've got to put Alf Ramsey in at number one because obviously he won the World Cup and no no manager's done that since. It's difficult. Does then, it sit right? Does it sit second then? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. The reason why yeah, I mentioned about, second... Uh, Bobby. The only reason I mentioned second, because mm. with that win today, Gareth Southgate has nine tournament wins as an England manager, passing Sir Ralph Ramsey. He had eight. Mm. They're both tied mm. on eight, and now he is the only England manager with nine tournament yeah. wins, Southgate. Yeah, yeah, and he's, and he's done well. You know, he's beat the sides in front of him, but those sides, again, every time he's come up against a decent side, like Ralph Ramsey came up against a decent side in the 66 final, beat him 4-2. Southgate is yet to beat a side that we, you know, we're going to struggle against. Doesn't change anything for me. It's a good start. Interesting. Well, we'll see how we perform. Friday, a positive performance and three points against USA. Maybe, just maybe, this time next week, Kemp will be just that little bit more enthused uh, about England's chances heading into their third and final game against Wales on Tuesday night. I'm just going to move on now to some of our uh, listeners' thoughts, asking the community just for for some thoughts and, and sort of you know feelings towards England's performance today. So I'll just quickly run through them and, and get some of your thoughts. Um, I'll start with Kerouin. Now I will point out, lads, he, he was a little bit upset by um, your reaction to his prediction that Canada would be a surprise team. Um, but I said that we'll uh, we'll we'll revisit that once we've seen them play a game or two, and, and maybe we'll apologise on the show, or more than likely say I told you so. Um, but just uh, I thought I'd put that out there. But he says gloves are off from England, and I can't help but think it wasn't what Southgate wanted. But the lads smelt blood, in my opinion. Saka is a real talent we have on our hands, and so happy that the Euros didn't ruin his confidence. Definitely agree with that second part there, but. Um, Modge, I'm going to come to you on, on that f- first part. Caroline seems to think that Southgate would have sent them out to take a bit more of a conservative approach and, you know, again, as I predicted, an efficient but not exciting result. But when they saw how Iran were, were set up, they, they maybe went a little bit out of their own way to put in the kind of performance that we would hope considering the talent. What What's your thoughts on that? Do you think Southgate was the one that set up that game plan and had them playing how they did or they just sort of took it into a more of a, a training atmosphere after those early goals in the first half and, you know, looked as exciting as they did off their own back? I, I mean, I think it's 100% intent from Southgate. I mean, it has to be because at the end of the day, your players, you kind of, you'd have to listen to what you're your coach or your manager's game plan is and uh, I think to be honest in terms of Southgate for, for this tournament he's kind of it's almost like he if he doesn't do well he'll have to kind of go out on his sword so I think he's um, just telling the lads like look come on let's uh, let's let's show him who we are you know we're, we're here to they're, they're counting us out let's um, let, let's uh, show him let's see if we can uh, make a run at this and uh, from what I saw today honestly nothing but positive things and I think that trickles down from him as well as the, how the players are reacting to him as well you can see that they still kind of believe in him as the England manager and uh, yeah I mean in terms of 
was it a situational thing? I don't I don't think so, no. I think they knew that Iran were going to try and sit deep and it was just a matter of pressing on and eventually breaking through and they did that six times today. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm inclined to agree with you on, on this one. Adam, I'm going to come to you to the, for the next comment. It's from Kieran. He says, great performance led by Jude Bellingham running the show. What a player. Future England captain for sure. 19 years old, a lot of hype around Bellingham with, with his performances, not only in, in the Bundesliga, but in the Champions League as well. He, he's led and captained Borussia Dortmund a couple of times so far this season. What do you think about Bellingham's um, the performance today? First goal for England, the first player born in the 2000s to score in the World Cup. Where do you see his future in, in terms of not only international football but certainly from a club perspective as well surely a big 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 move on the cards in the not so distant future yeah I think he had a class game today I think when he moved from Birmingham to Dortmund there was always that kind of like why have they, why have they spent so much on this guy and then he's kind of answering those critics quite well isn't he and then there's an opportunity now for him to maybe get a bigger move to the Premier League I think Liverpool on a couple of occasions have been looking towards him and I think somebody like him would, would suit that team quite well. I think in terms of his performance today, he was simply faultless. He got his goal, he grew in confidence further from there and you could tell what it meant to him to get that goal at the age of, did you say 19? At the age Correct. of 19 to get that goal and then like from there, just went on with confidence. He worked well alongside Rice, he continued to push forward, he was creating opportunities, he wasn't afraid to get stuck in and win the ball back from for England. He made, I think, in the first half there was uh, one touch that was a bit too heavy, and then he just absolutely threw a challenge in to win the ball back for England, and it, it led to um, a goal up the other end for for Sterling. So I think his confidence only grows throughout the tournament, and I think these sort of experiences now means that when it comes towards Harry Kane's time to maybe give up the armband or, or retire from international football, you've got a captain there with a lot of experience and a lot of ability to help lead England onto the next generation as well. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, with him at 19 years old and Declan Rice, despite his experience, still only 23 years old, I think England might have just found their new uh, centre midfield partnership for the next 10 years and at least the next two or three major tournaments. But we'll see. Um, Kent, I'm going to come to you for, for this one and I'll I'll get you to answer the second part of that question to Adam on Jude Bellingham. Where do you see his future in, in domestic football? Again, he's with Dortmund. He's getting a lot of a lot of hype, a lot of a lot of praise for what he's doing. What kind of money can you see him going for in the future? And you know, what kind of team do you think can afford to pay that? Uh, it's difficult because who's got that sort of money? His asking price is going to be crazy. There's only certain clubs in the world at the minute that can afford that sort of money. It's not just on transfers; it's on wages as well. How much money is he going to be commanding? You look at. Uh, a player like Haaland who to be fair City did really well with his transfer fee but his, his wages are astronomical so Premier League is likely is it going to be Liverpool with the FSG situation which is what was heavily rumoured you know I don't know but for me Real Madrid is always you know they're always lurking in the background thinking you know can we can, can we sort of put, put our, our two penneth in and and see if we can, you know, lure them to the Galactico style of things. But it's difficult. I can't see past Real Madrid. I think Liverpool was likely the destination, but I think the the way the owners and and, and the financial situation is there, I think it's unlikely. So I think, unfortunately, the English lad who, who went away to Germany to become a man, I think he's going to stay away on the continent, and I think he's going to be a Real Madrid player and possibly a Real Madrid legend. 
Yeah, I've, I've got City or Madrid pegged as probably the two sides that can afford to pay what they need to pay and also be, you know, a, a, a sort of a destination that Jude wants to go to himself. Um, I'm just very quickly going to get your thoughts, Kemp, um, off the back of Aaron Law's comment. He's just put Jude Bellingham, that is all. I think that pretty much sums up his performance today. Big shout out to Illimane Undai as well, uh, Sheffield United player in the Senegal squad. Didn't get any minutes today, but what kind of impact do you think he could make on the World Cup, if any, for, for a player that's currently playing in the Championship? Well, he's, he's shown so far this season for, for the Blades that he's a very, very exciting attacking player. He's, he's not shy of getting stuck in and you know really throwing his weight about, using his physicality and his speed and getting beyond the last man. It's going to be difficult for him to get in the side. He is still very young and he's very inexperienced at that level. It's fantastic that he's gone and, and he's part of the, the squad and he's, he's in the tournament. I think in terms of minutes, it is going to be difficult for him. But yeah, what an experience it is for him. And hopefully it means that he can come back to the Blades in the new year with a with a refreshed sense of, you know, um, wanting to do really well for us. So very talented player, Illumin and Jai. Really, really good you know, mindset and he seems like a very down-to-earth young lad and I think the experience just by being out there and just being in the squad will be will be really valuable to him and I think you can expect to see him as a um, a very, you know, early name on the team sheet in, in tournaments to come when he's matured a little bit. We'll see how that benefits Sheffield United as, as the season goes on. Uh, next up is Gareth Jones. I'll take this one. Saka was classed. Him on the right, get Foden on the left with a fully firing cane through the middle and who knows where we could go with this. Uh, definitely agree on Foden being in the starting eleven. I personally put him in more of a central role over Mount. I think Raheem Sterling with that pace that he offers up front, you know, saw what they can do today with that four with three. I, I, you know, Foden, very good on the ball, very good in small spaces. I definitely think he would be the key between unlocking defences with you know through balls and, and all that kind of stuff so for me Foden should be starting to do agree with that but I'd put him in a more central role ahead of Mason Mount um, Sam I'm going to close off with you on the last comment purely because you're a United fan like the person that put this comment Paul Martin said let's throw a cat amongst the pigeons Rashford over Saka what's your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that I've not been a United fan since I was a kid mate I've been a Derby fan so I don't know where We've got that one from, but uh, yeah, I think I responded to him. Didn't I? I think it was absolutely crackers to say that Rashford deserves a place over Saka. Saka scored two, didn't put a foot wrong, cracking volley. To be fair, um, I don't know what more you could uh, could ask for him from a. It was his first uh, first World Cup game as well. I think I seen a stat earlier that said he scored two World Cup goals in one game, and Rooney's only scored one World Cup goal in God knows how many games he featured. So. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think he deserves to be dropped anytime soon. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Saka, I'd, I'd put it in the community that him and Jude, I think, are going to be key to England's attacking performances this tournament, and, and they showed that today. But again, it is only around we move on to Friday with what should be a tougher test against the USA, seven o'clock kickoff Friday night. So, what a, a way to potentially start the weekend. On a great note, uh, just very quickly, I will cover the results so far from the rest of the tournament. Let's be honest, that England game earlier today is probably the best game for a neutral so far because the quality of football hasn't been great and, and certainly the atmosphere and the attendances haven't helped with that. Uh, start with the opening game, Ecuador beating Qatar, the host 2-0. Qatar, to be honest, I, I would love to see what kind of level they're at in terms of the English 
uh, league system because the standard was absolutely terrible. Ecuador were very easy winners, but Mudge, what do you reckon, mate? I know we we spoke about the corruption, we we spoke about the money, but Qatar is surely not doing anything for for the rest of the group stages and and the rest of their tournament. No, I think um, it was uh, stated, wasn't it? The um, the opening nation had never lost the opening game, so that the nation hosting had never lost the opening game. And uh, if uh, if Qatar had won, then I think there definitely would have, would have been some questions uh, in regards to their win. But uh, no, no, I don't think Qatar are going to get out of that group. I think, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's written in the stars for them. Sadly, I think they're going to lose all three games. Still pretty awful. They've. I think they've got Netherlands next, which depending on how much Netherlands want to push it could be quite embarrassing but yeah, well, you, say, you say oh, that, they, were, they were pretty bad today weren't they I think they were quite fortunate to win 2-0 today yeah, yeah. 4 o'clock kickoff today the second game of the day after the England match was Netherlands against Senegal Netherlands won 2-0 but they were two late goals uh, Gakpo scoring in the 84th minute to open the scoring and Klassen scoring deep into injury time in the 99th minute so yeah 2-0 on the face of it, it, looks like a pretty comfortable win, but both score, both goals scored very late on. And, and yeah, I watched the game. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a pretty poor game to to be perfectly honest. A lot of people have got Netherlands pegged as going quite far based on the squad they've got. But just about to say we've got someone pegging Gakpo as a one to watch break out, haven't we? Who's that? Who's um, um, I think one of our, one of our fans was it? Yeah, someone on the uh, on the Facebook community page, Daniel Olton. Uh, said in response to my question about breakout players, said that he was a massive fan of Gakpo. So, good start for for that prediction there. Great job. Um, mm. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's been playing phenomenally well for PSV this season. And the third and final game for today, we, we spoke about it a couple of times, but it has now finished. USA drawing 1-1 to Wales. USA looked like the, the strongest side in the first half. Timothy Ware scoring 10 minutes before half-time to put them in the lead and Gareth Bale scoring a penalty with around 10 minutes left to go, getting them a point, which uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, a point for each of those two games now surely plays to England's advantage as they're going to have to be a bit more attacking. So Kent, I'll, I'll come back to you with this one. USA, Wales both starting off with a point. You would now naturally assume they're going to have to push an attack against England. Uh, you know, wh- where, where do you see the chances or, or how do you see that approach playing into England's hands? I think it bodes really well for England, to be fair, no matter how we set up. Even if Southgate reverts back to type and we sort of sit in a little bit and, and try and catch him on the break, I think that works pretty well, especially if we've got Harry Kane, who's, who's potentially not playing in the next game. I do think that that would sort of suit a more direct counter-attacking approach if if those teams do, do want to come on to us. But... I don't think it's going to change the approach dramatically. I think if you look at it from their perspective, they've got what should really be a a banker against Iran after the performance that they put in today, and then you know they've 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 going to have to rely on the other other team getting a result against England, which you know based on today's performance is not going to be an easy thing to do. So, I think England can look at it in a in a sort of no lose situation. Really, I think it doesn't matter how they play or or, or what they do. You know, I think it's 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 it plays into our hands, especially if Iran somehow managed to get, you know, a miraculous point in their next game. You know, I think the next two games definitely uh, play into our hands if that's the case. So I think it's uh, 
I think it's been a good result for us today, uh, all round. Good. I'm glad you finally lightened up about England's chances, you dickhead. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> I, will say, I, will, I will say this about Eng- England's performance today. It's made me believe that they can go deeper into the tournament. Now, that's not... We should go deeper into me. Yeah, oh, mate, just ask. Um, I genuinely... I'm, it's not about getting ahead of myself, but I think it's more to do with the fact that this team played better than I thought they would as a collective. Like, they just absolutely ran the show, like, on the attack. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't really giving them too much of a chance. I said quarters, but, uh, yeah, if the young players can kind of step up and, you know, just kind of keep performing the way they did against Iran. I know it's not the the, the biggest opposition, but there are a lot of positives today to take, and it's made me a little bit more optimistic about the uh, tournament outcome for us. I just think try not to be too cute. You know, we've just had a cracking result. Don't change it. You know, if everyone's fit and everyone's available, just don't change it. Just copy and paste that team, go out again and go and do exactly what you just did then against them. Don't don't let them dictate to what you're going to do. It's only, I mean, I don't want to say it's only the USA, but, you know, it's not like a France. It's not, they shouldn't ever dictate to how we want to play or set up. I think we just set up and let them dictate to us. Let them look, look at our team and think, well, that's how they're saying, oh, you know, we must have, we have to make our changes there. I think, just go and play how you did, uh, did today. Uh, I don't think they'll have much trouble, especially seeing that, that first half, uh, that Wales-USA game. Keep it simple, in my opinion. I think, if you're a, a tactical genius like Kevin Keegan, I think you can start, you know, <laughs> oh, moving, things about, moving, moving things about and, and see if you can sort of, you know, tactically outwit them. But if you go with Southgate, yeah, copy and paste them. I completely agree. Didn't he quit on the shitter? Right. No, that, that was Elvis. I think on, on a stopwatch, Sam, you just got in there before, Kemp, so you get to claim that one. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, one of the questions in the community forum was from Aaron about the lineup on Friday. And, you know, do we stick with the same lineup? There's a lot of talk about Mason Mount. Should there be players in over him? Sterling with the form he's been in. And there was a lot of the talk and the main talk going into the game with a rumoured lineup last night. So we'll, we'll get more into that. In, in the preview show later in the week with England next playing Friday evening, especially when we should be a bit more clearer on, on injury news with Maguire and Kane as well. So, yeah, uh, for the preview show, we'll, we'll really get stuck into what you yeah, said. Just jumping on that. Go on. Just about Mason Mount, because I know he gets a lot of flack, and he is getting a lot of flack again today for disappearing a lot of game. And against teams like this, it, yeah, maybe he's not the best choice because you know you could you could stick anyone in there. And they're going to do a job, but against these big teams, I think against Germany, I think last Euros, then big teams. You, that's when his value comes in. You see, it, he does so much running and he leads the press, and that's where I think his value is. Now I know he's not he's not absolutely gifted quality wise. He can take a free kick, to be fair, but. Where his value is, it's it's leading that high press, and I think that's where Southgate loves him so much because he can, you know, he can get us on front foot, eye up the eye up the pitch. And I think that's where his value comes in. But against teams like this, I mean, yeah, you can use him obviously as a high press against against Iran, and the, the, obviously that's exactly what they did. And they bottled it, but I think his value will come into it more against the bigger teams. Would you put him in your starting lineup for Friday, Sam? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I'd literally keep the exact if if every player was available to me what were played today I'd just play the exact same and you know the substitutes come on and they were, they were fine but I, I don't see any reason to change it you're going to get a much more of a test on Friday and that's when we are going to need to 
you know, use that press very well. And I think he's going to be, he's key to using that press. Problem is, yeah. if you change it, and I don't know if you agree, Adam, but, you know, you, we've just absolutely battered a side in the World Cup. And again, it's Iran, it's the team that you come up against. But we've had a fantastic performance. It's probably the best England performance in a long, long time. Taking out the opposition, you know, it's it's still a very positive performance. How can you take any player out of that and look them dead in the eye and say you don't deserve to play next week? Adam, agree? I do agree, yeah. I mean, for me, Foden should be starting above Mount in general. But after you put in a performance like that as a team, and it's the bigger picture, isn't it? As a collective, the team's performed very well today. It would be very difficult to turn around and say to Mason Mount, you shouldn't be in that starting lineup. He, he didn't perform great, but like Sam said, it'll be much more important later on in, in the tournament when you've got to do that high press on a more consistent basis. And that's where players like Foden, uh, Rashford... Um, Grealish will, will be a bit more important coming off the bench when you've got to be more consistent with the high press later on in the game and, and I think that'll be important, yeah. It just just shows the, the depth that England have that um, when Phil Foden's on the bench it, it says a lot, doesn't it, about the, the team quality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that pretty much covers everything and anything that we can discuss about England. One more team that I want to cover, this is for Mudge's benefit, but England aren't the only team to have got a really positive win over this weekend, uh, Chesterfield in the National League won 2-0 at home to Solihull Moors. Uh, and with Notts County, who were in second, are still in the second, only getting a point. Uh, Chesterfield now sit five points behind that second place with a game in hand and only six points behind Wrexham, also with a game in hand. So, Adam, as a Chesterfield fan and a lot of listeners that are interested in low league football, I know much is the expert on that level, but Adam, I am going to come to you as a, a town fan What's, what's your thoughts on, on those three results this weekend and, and how that stands for town going into the, the second half of the National League? Naturally, they help us massively. A win in our game in hand and we go to three points behind Wrexham. We've already beaten them once this season. We can close that gap even more. I've always said that it'll be between us and Wrexham for the, for the title because I think with Notts County, as well as they're performing, they've got a likelihood that in January their top goal scorer is going to go. And we've already spoken about Langstaff leaving in January. We've spoken about the potential of Shimanga leaving in January. But with Shimanga, it's going to be a case of going on what's happened in the past because he's not been playing too much for us since he came back from injury. Whether that's a tactic from Cook to make sure that he doesn't go in January, I'm not sure. But yeah, it's good. We're back up into uh, contention for, for fighting for the top of the league. And we're moving further away from fourth place. So it's ideal. That's good to hear, Adam. Fucking sure. oh, hell, that could put a glass eye to sleep, that could. I Jesus. tried to yeah. too long because Jeez. I don't want to upset Mudge again. You and the other four listeners who are probably Chesterfield fans will be really excited about. Everyone else is really <laughs> shocked now, aren't they? That's it, big, they're gone. Big Gazza. We've, yeah, we've, we've, we've got there. Big Gaz joining us for the uh, end of season review when town get promoted. So, uh, oh, no. That's all getting banned. Everyone busy that weekend, yeah? Yeah, I'm washing yeah, my hair that weekend. Banned yeah. before yeah. even started. <laughs> <laughs> well, that covers this weekend's football. Uh, again, the, the highlight being England's performance today. Uh, we will now, after the break, move on to discuss this weekend's F1 action with the season finale in Abu Dhabi and also what is Sebastian Vettel's legacy.
Welcome back to Loaded Sport. It's time to get into this weekend's action from the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in the Formula One. Joining me and Adam to go through it is our resident F1 expert, Josh. Josh, how are you, mate? Very well, thank you. Good, good. So, last race of the season, there's plenty to discuss. I think more so from an overall season perspective, but we'll get stuck into that. First of all, though, top five in Abu Dhabi. Max won yet again his 15th win out of the 22-race season. Leclerc in second, securing second place in the championship, just beating out Sergio Perez in third in both the race and the overall standings. Carlos Sainz in fourth, and then George Russell for Mercedes in fifth. So, Adam, I'll start with you before we get into Josh's even more short technical and uh, respectable knowledge of of the race and the sport. But Adam, what were your thoughts on the final race of the season? I think you're always going to have entertainment on the final race of the season. And I think that's been drawn up even more with what happened with Red Bull on the penultimate race of the season just a week ago. We look at the fact that the championship is over, but there was still second place to fight for. And the animosity between Max and, and Perez kind of made this a bit more of an intriguing race more than anything, wasn't it? But you look at the results, like you say, um, Verstappen won, Leclerc finished second. Therefore, regardless of what would have happened last week, Perez wouldn't have finished second place overall. I think the race is what it is. It's just one of them things, isn't it? Last race of the season, you're always going to have that worry that there's not going to be too much to fight for. But we've still got a little bit of entertainment from what went off with Max and Perez. And of course, the fact that uh, the great one didn't even finish. The great one indeed, and we'll get into that very shortly in, in my next talking point. But Josh, what were what were your thoughts? I you know we spoke last week about a lot to do with the fallout from the Brazil Grand Prix. How would you know the Red Bull relationship potentially affect the overall standings? But I don't think there really was much. Leclerc got second place. I think fair, fair and square. There wasn't really any drama. So, what are your thoughts on the final race of the season to conclude Formula One in twenty twenty two? Yeah, the, the Red Bull stuff sort of petered out very quickly. Um, they had a team photo uh, on th- on the Thursday to show you know some unity and to declare that they'd put the the Brazil incident behind them both. And uh, yet from there they went into practice and qualifying and just absolutely uh, obliterated the opposition. Uh, you know, one two on the grid in qualifying and then in the race uh, very well controlled and uh, you know they tried uh, another strategy with Sergio and uh, narrowly missed out on that P2 in the in the championship but again you know Max just absolutely dominated that race and uh, never looked like he was going to be beaten yeah and, and that pretty much sums up the whole season as I mentioned a, a minute ago 15 wins he got from this season so yeah a very dominant and much more conclusive championship victory than it was last season under the circumstances. So, Adam, just to go back to your point earlier about the golden boy of the sport, Lewis Hamilton finished the season on a DNF. And I think that just as much as Max winning pretty much perfectly sums up the season that he's had. It's first ever season in Formula One without a race win. Now, Josh, being a Mercedes fan and a Lewis fan, where do you think that puts his mindset going into next season, coming off the back of technically his his worst ever season in the sport? I think his mindset's good. Um, He was um, saying in his post-race interview uh, how much he was uh, looking forward to to next season and to to go again with a more competitive car. Um, He did say that the W13, this season's car, uh, 
didn't deserve to to win a race and that he wouldn't it wouldn't be one he'd necessarily keep in his collection so obviously there is that disappointment that it, it didn't work out this year but he was he was generally quite happy surprisingly uh upbeat after the race and uh i think that just shows you where where he is and he's already focused on, on next year yeah probably more of a just happy that it's over than a frustration as to how it's gone because it's been pretty obvious for quite a few months now that they're not going to be competitive and it is going to be a focus on next season. So, yeah, I would agree with that. What you said there yeah. about him being up B is definitely more of a, thank God that's over. We can we can move on now, you know, and not, I think the frustration has, has long gone in terms of their performance this year. Adam McLaren finished on a... On a, a very positive race, both drivers getting the points. Lando Norris finished with fastest lap. We know Ricardo is is now no longer a, a McLaren driver. Um, Lando is is clearly the future of that team. Where do you see the team's chances for for next year? Positive couple of seasons, much better than what they have done, pretty much since Lewis left. But going into next season with two young drivers, one being a, a rookie. Where do you where do you fancy their chances in terms of the best of the rest on the grid going into twenty twenty three? I think we've got to be favourites as as one of the best of the rest. I obviously, we're still quite a far, uh, far uh, we're quite a distance, should I say, away from your Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, and and that speaks for itself. But like this year, we've already had a, a one two that we managed to uh, somehow get ourselves out of absolutely nowhere. I'm sad to see Ricardo go. I think he's a great personality to have in and around uh, the paddock. I think he's somebody that's still got a long, a lot to offer within Formula One. He, he's gone to Red Bull as a number two, as a uh, reserve driver, if you will. But do we think that's going to stay? When it comes to the time that Max and Perez reach boiling point, and Red Bull have to make a decision, are they going to keep Max or are they going to keep Perez? They're, they're going to keep Max, which means then it's Ricardo's route back into Red Bull. There was something in his contract when he joined McLaren that if Red Bull or Mercedes offered him a contract, we would waiver the right for any sort of fees to be paid. He, he would be allowed to leave and discuss with those two teams. So I think that speaks for itself. If the opportunity was to arise at Red Bull, maybe he expected it to be more of a, a number one or a number two driver than a, a reserve driver. What we've got with the two young drivers at the moment is literally just that, two young drivers. We don't have a car that can compete on a regular basis. We've seen a couple of races this season where we've been there or thereabouts. We've seen a couple of races this season where we've been absolutely nowhere near and we've been somewhat off the pace. So I think we've got two drivers that we need to get a bit more experience. Lando's got a couple of years now. He's got a little bit of experience. He's worked with some very good drivers. He's worked with Alonso. He's worked um, alongside Button as well. Now with Ricardo. Now he's the little bit of experience we're going to be turning to to help Piastri kind of ease himself into Formula 1. Hopefully he hits the ground running and there's not going to be too much work that needs to be done there. But I think with Lando trying to show some of that experience, I think we're looking in and around, you, you know, 7th, 8th, sometimes the, the latter stages of the points. I don't think we're going to be breaking into uh, the top six, even with the occasional DNF. We, we've got to look at some of the other sides that are around there at the moment. Alpine, of course, one of uh, one of those that have been there or thereabouts this season fighting for us as best of the rest. Ferrari now, from last year, they, they've took off. They're now one of the better sides in Formula 1. Mercedes, let's be fair, if they take another downward spiral, they'll be there battling with us, but can we really see Mercedes take another downward spiral? No, I think after what's happened at the end of this season, Lewis has said that enough's enough. 
He's going to focus on getting the car better. George Russell's outperformed him. If there's one thing I do like about Lewis Hamilton, and you'll not hear me say much to compliment the guy very often, it's his determination and his desire to win. You don't win as much as he has without that sort of fight and, and grit and determination. And he's had a bad season. Loads of Formula 1 drivers do. Loads of Formula 1 teams do. But it's really how he reacts to that now, this season. He know, he, He's got that, that, that fire and that hunger now to go back at Max. Max has won his first legitimate championship, if you will, from everybody that's been complaining that the one last season wasn't a legit, legitimate championship. He's won yeah. one now. This is the big battle. Lewis against Max. They've got the entire of this, this pre-season, this off-season, if you will, to prepare a Mercedes car. They've got a driver that is capable of winning that championship in Lewis Hamilton. To be fair, you could argue that they've got one in George Russell. Bottas maybe wasn't the number two driver that they needed. George Russell and Lewis Hamilton have, have got that sort of ability to both be number one drivers. Can they coincide if it was a case of this could be Lewis's last hurrah, potentially? And you could see, George, when it comes when push comes to shove, him helping Lewis just the way that Perez has helped Max. Could you see Lewis doing the same for George Russell? Absolutely. I think Lewis has got that experience now to know that it kind of works as a team as well as an individual. And I think both of those two are going to be up there or thereabouts alongside Max and Perez. And I think we're going to be looking at another Red Bull against Mercedes come towards the end of next season. Definitely. And as we've already discussed, Mercedes are clearly confident and, and much more excited going into next year. They, they seem to know where they stand with the quality of the car. So, yeah, you said it yourself. Every driver has had a bad season at some point. You know, those that are, are well remembered, this is Lewis's first and worst season of his career so far. So next season will be a true test of how he responds to that. And yeah, it'll be uh, be very exciting to see. So just talking about legacies and, and talking about the future and going into next season and Max Verstappen and the future of Red Bull with Ricardo joining as a reserve driver. Max Verstappen was quoted in an interview after the race this weekend as saying that his current contract with Red Bull could potentially be his last. And it is something that he's constantly thinking about. He's currently due to run out in 2028, so he's got another five seasons, but he has said that at the age of 31, he could walk away from the sport and retire as there are other things that he wants to do. So he's currently sat on two championships with another five seasons. He'd have to go on a legendary run to tie Lewis's and Schumacher's current record of seven. But let's assume for a moment, and let's live in a hypothetical world that says that Max Verstappen does retire in five years. Where... And Josh, I'll start with you for this one. Where would you see Max Verstappen standing in, in the F, F1, you know, sort of standings and rankings all time? But where would you see that sitting in, in five years' time, assuming that he does retire at the age of just 31? Well, he's already very, very high up on the on the list of, of Formula 1 greats and he's, he's only just getting started. Uh, 2028, five, five years' time, he targeted getting uh, uh, about four championships uh, in, in that time uh, in, in years gone by. He's, he's been quoted as saying that. Um, so if he can get his four championships at least and and call it today, I think he'd be very happy with that. But does he want to go longer? Does he want to do what Lewis and Lewis Hamilton has done, what Michael Schumacher has done and go in, into the late 30s and, and early 40s? Um who knows? He might change his mind on that, but he's he said he he would be happy to to go at thirty one and and concentrate on other, on other things. Um, I I think he's got every right to do that. Uh, 
But I, I, I'd like to see Max in the in the sport for uh, you know the foreseeable future. It, it makes the sport more exciting, makes each individual race more exciting when he's up against the the best. And uh, you know, you, you see these battles with Lewis and, and Max uh, last year, especially, and it, it was absolutely enthralling. It was it was brilliant to watch. And uh, I've sort of missed that uh, this year, but uh, yeah, the longer he's in the sport, the better, I'd say. And me as a Red Bull fan, I would definitely agree with that. You know, you want the best drivers in there. Someone like Nico Rosberg, you know, won the title and dipped. So we never got that follow-up. We never got that big, right, someone's beat Lewis. What is Lewis going to do about it? We never got that opportunity. We've now got that with with Max going back-to-back and Mercedes, you would expect having a much more competitive car. But drivers like Lando, drivers like George Russell, uh, George Russell, should I say, all these young drivers that are just starting, Leclerc as well, of course, finishing second in the standings, all these young drivers are now really starting to elevate themselves and develop and will naturally only get into better performing cars as the years go on. It's very interesting to sort of think where the sport will be and how the standings will look like in the next three to five years' time. So assuming that all these drivers that are currently young and developing and not quite at their peak yet, you would assume that in sort of five, six years' time, they really would be at that. So it would be a shame that if at that point Max does decide to walk away. But I'm sure there'll be a lot of talent on the grid when that time comes. So I'm sure we won't miss him too much, but time will only tell. Speaking of legacies, moving on to someone who has one of the best legacies in F1 history, a massive, massive contributor to Red Bull's Formula One history and legacy. It is the retirement this weekend of Sebastian Vettel of Aston Martin. His last race in Abu Dhabi is now walking away from the sport. Four-time world champion, winning all of those with Red Bull in the early 2010s. Lads, where do we see his legacy? Naturally, he's took a bit of a step back these last few years, moving to sort of the, the lesser teams after leaving Red Bull. But you, you can never deny and you can never forget about a driver that's won four championship teams. So, Adam, what do you think, or what to you as an F1 fan is the legacy of Sebastian Vettel? I think him alongside Lewis Hamilton defined an era in Formula One. I think towards the, I think it was the backstages of the noughties, the beginning of, of 2010s, him and Lewis were having such a battle. It was so entertaining to watch. And I remember my favourite season of Formula One to ever watch was the final se- the final race of the season. Saw so either Vettel, Weber, Hamilton, um, Alonso, Massa or Button. Any of those six drivers could win the championship on the final race of the season. And I think it was the first corner that Vettel had spun off and it was almost game set and match that it was going to somebody else but he fought re- re- so resilient to get himself back up there and 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 get the the result that he needed to make sure that he was the world champion and like i say he defined a, an era with lewis hamilton he helped red bull put themselves on the map he helped shape that team up to what we know them as today because let's be fair before then that they were a formula one team but did they really have much success did they really have much expectation no, a young Sebastian no. Vettel came onto the team from Alpha, um, Alpha Tauri or whatever they were known as back then as well. And he helped lift that team. And he helped get Red Bull to, to where they were and the heights that they were at. And him and Christian Horner had such a companionship that really, really lifted the sport, the team, him as an individual. And I think without Sebastian Vettel having that sort of ability and, and battling with Lewis Hamilton... 
I don't think Lewis would have won as, as many as he did. And I don't mean that in a case of, of course, obviously, Vettel won his four, then Lewis went on. And whilst he went Ferrari, they battled even further. But I think Lewis became a better driver for the battle that he had with Vettel, just as Vettel became a better driver for the battle that he had with Lewis. And I think I helped lift both of their careers and, and catapult them to what they've both got to. Can I see Lewis doing a similar sort of thing to Vettel? No. I think Lewis is at a point now where, as a world cha- a former world champion, he's still with Mercedes. He's still got that ability to, to carry on pushing forward with Mercedes. I think when his contract runs up and he makes the decision, and if he's not offered a new one by Mercedes, I think he, he calls it a day in Formula 1. He wants to create his own team. He wants to help out in a different way to what Vettel has, whereas Vettel's gone to, you know, after leaving Ferrari, he's gone to Aston Martin and Alfa Romeo, and, and he's helped that team try and shape their future as well. So he's really tried to help teams within Formula 1, whereas Lewis is trying to help the youth of, of the entire of, of motorsport, which is understandable. They've both gone down different routes, and, and nothing's wrong from either of them. I think Vettel's still going to go on and, and offer that same sort of thing, but I think his legacy is he's a four-time world champion. I believe he was the youngest world champion at the time, the first to win it four consecutive years since Michael Schumacher, I think he made a very big statement, and I think he's certainly one of the greats. You can't win four in a row without being considered a great, or four championships at all without being considered a great. And I remember seeing something on uh, Sky Sports F1 where they had to name the champions consecutively going back from the most recent year. And I think Vettel was the only one that managed to name every single one of them. The guy's knowledge of the sport is incredible. I'd love to see him in a punditry role afterwards. I'd love to see him, him give his take on different races. But it's the stuff that he's done off the track as well. He's gone and he's helped Aston Martin, but I think it was at Silverstone. He stayed behind and helped clean up the stands afterwards. It's the stuff that he's done for charity and support of of other causes. I think he's used his celebrity status to really help not only himself, but others as well. And I think both on and off the track, Seb's proved to himself, even the people that didn't like him whilst he was dominating the sport, and some people may say that that made it boring, those people would be me as well. I think that he's really proved those sort of people wrong. And as a person, he's much better than what you see on the track. I would say that those people that blamed Vettel for making the sport boring are massive hypocrites for supporting Hamilton. And by that, I mean Gaz, of course. So, but he, he Seb could only ever do what he did on the track. It's not his fault if other teams weren't as competitive or, or whatever it may be. He is the reason that I am an F1 fan. When I first started getting into the sport, he was absolutely fantastic. He was this trailblazer who was really, you know, like you said, Adam, bringing Red Bull up to sort of the the top of the top tier of F1 teams. And and yeah, he's he's the reason why I'm a a Red Bull fan to this day. And yeah, his legacy will be just as a great guy that was a massive influence. Again, I think you said it perfectly, Adam, defined an era and yeah, I'm I'm sad to see him go, but I hope he enjoys his retirement. And yeah, completely agree. I think he'd be a great pundit, um, similar to Tony Romo in 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 the NFL, just getting a real expert insight into what goes into delivering at the highest order on on the track. So we'll see what uh, we'll see what he decides to do in the future. Josh, as a as a Mercedes fan, as a Lewis fan, as someone that for quite a long time was a thorn in uh, Lewis's side. Where uh, where would you put Seb's legacy? Well, it, it ranks amongst the absolute best in, in Formula One. You know the, the sporting results for the last two years at Aston Martin 
uh, may not have been what he wanted or hoped for, but it's completely irrelevant when you when you look at the peak of his career and what he did with with Red Bull. He could string ten or more races together and and you know get get ten victories in a row uh, for that team at his prime and. He was just absolutely relentless. No one could touch him in in qualifying in, in the race. No matter what the what McLaren or Ferrari tried, it was always Sebastian and, and Red Bull more often than not. So absolutely dominant uh, and and relentless at his peak. And he was he was just very wise and very technical, very well uh, technically minded. Uh, uh, very knowledgeable about his uh, race car from the start of the season to the finish, uh, and that's that's why he was so so successful uh, year in year out. And yes, he he had battles with Fernando with 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 Lewis, um, some some quite epic battles as Adam touched on. Brazil two thousand and twelve was was phenomenal, and Abu Dhabi the first championship was. So it was 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 excellent. He he got away at the start and uh, managed to control the race while Webber and Alonso were squabbled behind and and he was he was there to pick it all up. So I I have great memories of, of Sebastian uh, when I started watching Formula One and you know you go back to his days at Toro Rosso and that that first win in in Monza I'd, I'd, that was uh, you know. One of one of the one of the best drives in in Formula One. Yeah. Uh, to do that at his age in in that Toro Rosso was was mind blowing. So, from start to finish, he's he's been a real gentleman, a, a really fast race car driver, and a, a Formula One legend. I would completely agree, and I think based off of that last statement, that's a good place to leave it. Lads, that's another season in the books. 2022 Formula 1 season is now done. Max Verstappen is now a two-time world champion. Red Bull win yet another constructors. And I'm sure in the pre-season, once testing's underway and once we've got a bit more of an idea of what cars are going to perform at what level, we'll get back together and, and go through our go through a full season preview and our predictions for what 2023 looks like in the Formula 1 world. But Josh, thank you very much again for joining us. And we'll be back shortly to go through week 11 of the National Football League. Welcome back to Loaded Sport, where myself and Adam are rejoined by Mudge, Kemp and Sam to go through week 11 of the NFL. I was going to start off by saying the action that went down in week 11, but I think that would be a massive oversell due to the lack of action that went down. But I am going to start with what for me is the biggest talking point of the weekend, and that is the Minnesota Vikings versus the Dallas Cowboys. I had that pegged in our preview show as the game of the week. And reasons for that being Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins especially, struggled to do it in prime time. And 
they beat the Bills, and that's all well and good, but it was what they did against Dallas that would really show if they were legit in the NFC or not. And they lost 43 points. So they got absolutely battered. So, Sam, I'm going to start with you, mate. Obviously, being a Green Bay Packers fan, you've got a big interest in the kind of performances and results that Minnesota are delivering. What do you think about that game in prime time? Typical cousins, isn't it? Can't do it in prime time. I must admit, I've, I've not really seen much of this game, but when I, every time I was checking in, I was like, "How have they not scored?" But did it finish with three? Is that right? They put three up, three points on the board. Yeah, yeah, that's inexcusable. But then again, who am I to say anything? We're currently at four and seven, and it's clearly the Vikings' division to lose. So now it's it's pretty it's surprising don't get me wrong definitely surprising i didn't, didn't think the cowboys had, i thought the vikings were probably favorites well they're at home as well yeah they were they were yeah, yeah. Uh, cowboys, cowboys were hammered in uh, so vikings started off as favorites and cowboys were hammered in so cowboys ended up as favorites on the uh, on the bookies in the end right okay that's yeah surprising that yeah i would have definitely if i had to pick one of them before the game i'd have definitely gone vikings but especially after the back of that bills win but now they're still comfortable with their division to lose. I think they've got four games on us on that. Well, they've got four games on the lines and five games on us technically because they beat us as well. So yeah, they've uh, they've got nothing to worry about. Just a blip. Mojo, I know I said there about Sam being interested in in Minnesota results, but I suppose that's even more so with you with the Cowboys. Eagles still sit as the number one seed, having beat the Colts last night. But Dallas, 7-3, and three, they are a threat. They seem to be getting better. Pollard is, is just phenomenal at the minute and, and seems to be getting more and more touches over Zeke. And Zeke only tends to be getting the ball when they're in the red zone. But do you think that Cowboys, by the time the regular season's over, could have overtaken the uh, your Eagles in the NFC East? I will say this. So I watched the game last night with Cowboys Vikings. I the only reason I before the game has started, I had had Vikings winning because of form and also they're playing at home. That um, Cowboys D line is legit. Um, now I will say this in terms of the Cowboys, I think they're better suited. Ironically, I'm going to say this because they're absolute choke jobs usually. I think they're better suited for the playoffs this year than the Eagles are. So I think we will finish top. Um, but I think the Cowboys are going to be a dangerous team in the NFC this year um, to a point where they they could reach the championship game. They are loaded. And Pollard has emerged, I think, as a true running back with Zeke. Zeke has always been the short yardage option. Um, he's always been good at doing that, but Pollard is so good. He can re- He's so good at receiving the ball. He's a good rusher of the ball as well. He's electric. Um, and I think it's going to be a tough, tough decision for... Uh, Jerry and uh, Co. Uh, at Dallas as to what they do with Zeke. Do they trade him away? Do they do they waive him? Or yeah, it will be interesting. But uh, yeah, I think that the Cowboys are, are looking like the real deal this year. And Parsons is the defensive player of the year for me. Very interesting. Very interesting. I think moving on to the the second game that I think needs to be highlighted. We you spoke in the preview show about our wild card picks for the weekend across all sports. I had the Lions to beat the New York Giants, which they did pretty convincingly in the end. So, Kemp, I'll start with you being a Giants fan. What's happening? Overall, still a good record for the Giants, still in a good position to grab one of those wildcard spots in the NFC, but losing 31-18 to a team in Detroit that had only won three games up to that stage of the season. How do you feel about the, the rest of the regular season for the New York Giants? 
take nothing away from Detroit. Fantastic performance from them. They they didn't let us breathe. Barkley got barely any yardage. Uh, I think I saw him lose yardage quite a few times. Our O-lines looked pretty decent this year, but they, they couldn't really do much uh, at the weekend. And it was surprising to see. Uh, I was watching the Giants and so many times I've watched them this season and it's been a close game where we've been losing, sort of going into the third and the fourth quarter and in the second half, we really turn it on. We just couldn't, we just couldn't seem to get going. Jones got a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown as well, I believe. But, you know, we've got barely any receivers that, that that can cause some real damage. Barkley was snuffed out and, and, and Jones can, you know, he's, he's, he's not the best quarterback in the world. He's, he's perfectly serviceable, but you know, he's not a 10 or even top 15 quarterback in the league. I don't think really overall, if you think about it. So it's a tough, it's a tough loss. It's a bit of pill to swallow. It's, it's not ideal, but actually, you know what, this stage of the season, seven and three, I'd, I'd still take it and I'm still happy as a Giants fan. We just need to get back on the horse now and make sure that we don't let that result affect us negatively for the rest of the season because it's been a positive one so far. Yeah, definitely. And now Detroit going to Thanksgiving, playing Buffalo Bills and, and they're now off the back of three wins in a row. Adam, we've spoken quite a lot about what the Lions need to do. They've invested a lot of early draft picks in in their defence, but they were just missing that thing that were, would get them over the line and get them wins both this season so far and last season as well. But as I said there, they've now won three games in a row. Are they starting to find that missing piece, which was they've got a great team, they just couldn't see it through? Yeah, I think... Well, you've got to look at some of the sides that they've faced to get those wins as well, haven't you? I mean, the Bills are a completely different side. And I think despite how they started against the Browns, they dug deep and they got the win against them. I still don't see the Lions getting a win against the Bills. I think Lions still could probably do with, I'm going to say, a quarterback... They've got Jamal Williams now, as I think he's going to have to be their first choice running back. I know he's been doing a lot of it, like we've just spoke about, from, from short yardage. But I think with Swift, he's a bit injury prone. Last year, he got injured and it cost um, the Lions quite a bit. This year, again, he's struggling and Williams has come out of the blocks and proven himself as a solid number one choice for them. Defensively, we, we said that they'd, they'd been quite poor. But like you pointed out, we've spoke about a number of occasions, they, they've invested quite heavily on the defence and I think it's just starting to click a little bit more now with the likes of Akud and obviously Hutchinson I think he's got a couple of uh, picks in his last couple of uh, games which for an, an, a defensive lineman is quite good as well I still think there's some way off competing in the playoffs but I don't think they're too far away from making it to the playoffs if that makes sense but you've got to look at the sides in, in their division as well haven't you that they've got to be coming up against the Bears the Packers the Vikings the Packers at the moment are struggling. The Bears, I'm not quite sure what's going on with their quarterback situation for the rest of the season, based upon what we've heard today. But I think the Bears have the potential of turning a corner ever so slightly and competing at the same sort of level as the Lions. And the Vikings are proving already this year that at the moment they're, they're the best team in that division. Yeah, and I would agree. And the third game that I want to briefly talk about, Mudge, I'm going to come to you for this one. Yeah, Kansas City Chiefs in Monday Night Football beat the Chargers 30-27. to Patrick Mahomes threw another three touchdowns. Travis Kelsey had another three touchdown receptions. Kansas City Chiefs are currently 8-2 and two in the AFC, and once this week is over, we'll have the number one seed. But I've got a feeling, personally, that they're still going under the radar. Is yeah. that true, Mudge? And why do you think that is, considering the performances they're putting in and they're standing in the AFC currently? I think we've mentioned it before, haven't we? Uh, amongst our, our group chat, but I'm sure I've mentioned it on this podcast as well. 
Patrick Mahomes is a victim of his own success. Patrick Mahomes, by a country mile, I think, and I'm a diehard Eagles fan, obviously, Jalen Hurts is my QB. Patrick Mahomes is the best QB in the league in terms of he's playing at the best level right now. 100%. He's definitely MVP so far for me. He has to be the MVP. And I think, although Hurts squeaked out a win for us, he showed a lot of grit, a lot of ice in his veins. Patrick Mahomes is not putting the foot wrong. And... You know, they traded away Tyree Kill to to the uh, the Dolphins for you know a lot of picks, and um, yeah, Tyree Kill is obviously killing it in Miami. People are questioning whether or not um, Kansas City could be just as potent on offense. And if anything, I think they've taken that offense to a higher level because they're now getting everyone so much more involved. Um, Kadarius Tony, I don't know how how they managed to land him, but I think he's going to be a huge piece for them in the years to come. And Travis Kelsey, I think, is the best tight end in the league. He's been so consistent over the years. Him and Mahomes have really developed something special. And, uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's 14-0 um, in, uh, I think it's primetime games or primetime games uh, or, like, divisional games um, against his rivals in his division. But, yeah, Patrick Mahomes has been phenomenal. And Andy Reid is uh, really, really doing something special there. I Honestly, if you had to ask me now who's going to win it, I'd say Chiefs win it, win the Super Bowl this year. Interesting. And, and yeah, it's quite a strange perspective to look at it. The fact that, as I say, they are 8-2. They are going to be number one in the AFC, but there doesn't really seem to be a lot of talk about them. All the hype this year on the AFC side has been about the Bills and it does still seem to be the case, so it'd be interesting to see just how much they continue to heat up as we as we enter the back stretch. But we spoke about Patrick Mahomes, and Sam, I'm going to come to you on this one. You know, you're you're a big Packers fan, Aaron Rodgers. He's, the talent speaks for itself. the The legacy speaks for itself. But with the level that Patrick Mahomes is playing at at the moment, do you think that by the time it's done, he'd be considered as a, a better on field talent? as uh, the Aaron Rodgers well all he's got to do is win that's literally all he's got to do um, talent wise he looks there or thereabouts I mean they throw the ball very similar they've both got that whip that effortless sidearm whip um, all he's got to do is win because that's one thing Rodgers hasn't really been able to do he's, he's got the one ring if he'd have you know put a couple more over his time I'd be, I'd still be, even if he'd got three rings, I'd still be arguing is the go. But you can't. The him and Brady conversation died years ago. So yeah, the Mahomes and Rogers conversation. I suppose just, just win. That's that's the only thing I can say to him. And just get a couple more rings. I mean, he's already tied him, and he's got an MVP. MVPs. I don't think they really do anything for a legacy. No. In, in regards to, us, you know, your rings, your Super Bowls, your Rodgers can win another MVP. He's definitely not going to win it this year, don't get me wrong, but what are MVPs? You, when you win an MVP, it, it always tells me that there's something else in your game plan that's not working because Rodgers is winning all these MVPs, but why is he winning all these MVPs? It's because we, we haven't had a run game. It's because we haven't had a defence. He's had to put it all on himself. That's why it's probably someone like Josh Allen. He'll probably never win it, or, or he might pick one or two up. But it's because he's, had a, he's got a complete team. He's got a, probably best defensive league. He's got a cracking run. He's got a decent run game, and it, you know he just has to play at that level. But I mean, Mahomes hasn't really had a decent run game for for a while. It, it, that Pacheco looks like a decent up they've had now. I think he went over hundred yards. Um, he did, yeah. Yeah, yesterday. But yeah, just just win. That's that's all. That's all it is. Just just get a couple more of them Super Bowls and. 
I think he only needs probably one or two more, and, I, and I'd be comfortable saying he's been he's had a better career than Rogers. Why, why, why wouldn't you say that? I think yeah, the yeah. I, I think the situation with Rogers is he is probably the most gifted quarterback we've ever seen play the game. Like mm-hmm. yeah. technically, he just looks beautiful when he throws the ball. Um, and he's been efficient. Like you have to give Rogers his credit. Like he has been so efficient over the years. I think the difference is this year is the turnovers are starting to trickle in, and that's so unRogers like. Like I don't think he's. I think he's had only two seasons in his career, apart from maybe this year as well, where his turnovers have gone into double digits, and that is crazy to to think. Like he's obviously had a really long career. And uh, for him to kind of, you know, keep up that kind of consistency says a lot about his play. I think, um, yeah, like Sam says with with Mahomes, I do think Mahomes has been put in a better situation to win from his franchise and his coach. I I just think um, Rodgers has, although he's not the greatest teammate, I don't think he's necessarily been put in the best position to win uh, at Green Bay. They've never drafted an offensive weapon in the first round, so... You know, it could have been different had they focused more on offense over the years. But um, yeah, I think uh, like Sam said, Mahomes just has to win, and uh, he'll he'll probably be overtaking him at some point. Yeah, I think so. And just onto your point about his ball protection on Rogers, you know, sometimes that has actually been a bit of a hindrance. It, his refusal to take shots when players, you know, uh, maybe aren't open when it's a fifty-fifty ball, and just putting trust in your receivers. That's one of it been his biggest criticisms. I mean, the one what game was it? San Fran last year when we lost at home in the snow. When he when he's going deep for Devonte, just because it's his guy. When you looked twenty yards downfield, I think it was like third and nine. Or might even fourth and nine. Twenty yards downfield, Alan Lazard was wide open, and instead of choosing the easy easy path, he went deep for about a fifty yard completion to Devonte, and they were just broken up. And then we was we were a turnover on down, so yeah, it must have been fourth down. So that's been that's been a big criticism of him. Just just put a bit more faith in guys, and just let it air it out a bit more. And I think he's trying to do that this season. That's why his interceptions have gone up a bit, but it's not really that much of a choice. I mean, his, his supporting cast is pretty. Pretty average a minute. Although we'll give a shout out to Christian Watson, who over the last couple of games has looked like an absolute beast. Yeah. So, so fair play to him. North Dakota boy coming through. Mm, solid them um, North Dakota receivers. Tough as yeah. old boots. <laughs> he's he's definitely starting to break out multiple touchdowns now over the last uh, few weeks that he's scored. Just very quickly, Sam, because as we said at the start, this is your first um, recording with us, so you've not really had chance to talk about the Packers. Four and seven so far this season. As you said, they've not got the best supporting cast for Rogers. Lost in Thursday night football to the Titans, 27-17. Matt LaFleur's regular season record has, has been quite rightly lauded as fantastic since he took over the Green Bay Packers. But other than the receivers, you know, is that what's completely to blame for the downfall this season? What What's going wrong in Green Bay? I mean... To your point on the Titans game, the most frustrating thing about that game was actually the game before then, and it's the fact that we beat the Cowboys 31-28. It looked for everything like we turned a corner in overtime and we played brilliant. And then the game after, we've just gone and shown our bellies to Titans, and I think they were there for beating, to be honest. But we never, we never once looked like winning that. Uh, but no, in regards to this season compared to last, uh, the obvious thing is Devontae. He's, he's left. Rodgers hasn't got that guy that he can rely on. Offensive line's been all over the place. They've been chopping and changing. 
And a lot of things that not really been spoke about is how many offensive coaching staff we actually lost to the likes of Denver. Obviously, they, uh, Nathaniel Hackett when Rogers had a massive relationship with him, Kinky, and uh, there was a it, it was the guy that's gone to the Bears now the Bears OC um, gets is it Luke Getz is it? Um, he was our quarterbacks coach, so we've like lost a big chunk of our offensive room. And Matt LaFleur's obviously got more on his shoulders this year. And I just don't think his play call has been great. And you, you've seen a couple of times on the sideline with him and Rodgers where Rodgers is completely blowing up at him, which is, you know, ridiculous for a player to do that. But why is he doing that? What what sort of play calling is he is he calling for him to go off on a tangent? I don't know. It's just not, uh, it's not a good look for us on the sideline. Fair enough, fair enough. We now move on to each of your player of the week. We've got one more game to play tonight at point of recording, which we'll get into the predictions shortly. But what I do want is your player of the week so far. And Kemp, I'm going to start with you. I think it's difficult. I think you can pick a few players this week, to be fair. There's been some really, really good performances. And I think there's been some 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 difficult choices to make. Pollard, I think, is up there. for And Zeke for the Cowboys, both sort of, Bowled out with with Pollard getting two receiving touchdowns, I believe, as well, over 100 yeah. yards and 80 yards rushing. So I think I'm going to go with Tony Pollard this week, and I think he's really, really given Jerry Jones and 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 everybody else at the at the Cowboys franchise something to think about. He's a he's a handful, and um, and and he, and he makes me a bit scared. But Tony Pollard for Player of the Week for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. He would have been mine, but. You know, as as we do with the podcast, we we try and pick different players. Um, so while I'm trying to find somebody else, uh, Adam, I'll come over to you for your player of the week. I've got a couple written down as well, and one of them was Tony Pollard. I'm going to move on and go with uh, my second option, which is the king, Derek Emery. I think after Boom. the last couple of weeks, he has uh, been performing quite well, but he got involved in all three sides of the game today. Uh, today, yesterday, he had 28 rushing Thursday. attempts. Thursday, sorry, yeah, no, you're right, Thursday. I'll get there in the end. Thursday, he got involved, yeah, he got involved every day, he's fine. Uh, No, Derrick Henry on on Thursday, 28 rushing attempts, 87 yards and a touchdown. He had two targets, two receptions for 45 yards and then got involved in the passing game twice. Both completions, um, got four yards in total, but got a passing touchdown as well. Whether that's just something that's maybe been a bit inspired by everyone talking about how McCaffrey's turned up the heat a little bit, Derrick Henry responding by showing that he potentially is still the greatest running back uh, in the NFL at the moment. So I'm going to go with Derrick Henry. It's a, it's a well-deserved shout. Mudge, player yep. of the week for you. Uh, I will give an honourable mention to Aidan Hutchinson, who dominated yesterday. He got a pick. Um, and I'm not sure if he got a few sacks or a fumble recovery, but he was everywhere uh, yesterday. But I will say my player of the week is Travis Kelsey. You the son of a bitch. Yes. Yeah, I'm a diehard Kelsey fan. I think he's brilliant. And uh, anytime he turns up, he'll uh, always get a shout out from me. So the big Yeti with 115 yards and three tuddies, he uh, dominated against the Chargers, as he usually does against them as well. So, uh, yeah, that's my player of the week. Yeah, that's uh, that's completely fair. He's he's taken that tight end sort of position up to a level that I don't think has seen such a dominant player since Gronk. You know, doing that level of performance over such a consistent period of time. But 
yeah, Kelsey's definitely well-deserved. Sam, I'll come over to you for your player of the week. Yeah, well, I've had to scramble for this one because <laughs> Muddy Muller <laughs> gracefully snatched that one <laughs> right from my mouth. Uh, yeah, I'm going to oh. go with my guy. I'm going to go with Jamal Williams, former Packer. Um, yeah. Three touchdowns, not blowing, you know, not pulling up any trees with the yard. You're 64 yards, but yeah, three touchdowns for me. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give my guy some love. Yeah, that's more than well deserved. I like yourself and uh, put him on my bench in, in my work league that I've got. So absolutely good. And yeah. I'm relying on a few catches from DeAndre Hopkins tonight to get me over the line. I'm not quite there yet, which would have been if started Williams over Foreman for Panthers. But what can you do? Um, I'm actually struggling for a uh, for a player of the week now because we've all took the players that I was thinking of, which I think just you know credits or highlights just how well they played. So I'm going to go a little bit different and I'm going to give the uh, the performance of the week to the Washington defence. Um, played Ooh. the Texans, shut them out for quite a long time, ended up uh, letting 10 points, well, letting the Texans get 10 points on the board. Um, Texans didn't score a touchdown until about three minutes left in the game. They had a pick six early on that really set them up, um, you know, really set Tyler Heine- Taylor Heineke up, sorry, uh, to win that game and take them to six and five, and, and off the back of that, Heineke will now be the starting quarterback moving forward for the Washington Commanders, despite um, Carson Wentz being back. So yeah, I'll, I'll go with the Washington D as as being sort of the uh, the the team of of the week, or however you want to put it, because I'm struggling for a player. Um, we now move on to tonight's game. Monday Night Football sees San Francisco 49ers playing the Arizona Cardinals. We're going to keep it short and sweet with this one. Just a quick bullet point. Who you think will win and by what score? Uh, Kemp, I'll start with you. San Francisco, Arizona Arizona Cardinals. Who's your pick? San Francisco for me tonight. I think it's going to be 21-10. I think it's going to be fairly comfortable in the end. I think they've just got too much. Fair enough. Much. what about you? I'll go 27-6 to San Francisco 49ers. Um, I think uh, that the defense is uh, defense is obviously elite, so I think they'll cause the Cardinals problems. Yeah, San Francisco to win this by a big margin. Fair enough. I'll go next. Uh, in our show last week, um, I predicted San Francisco to make the Super Bowl after making a mid-season change. I'm going to stick with them getting a, a win tonight. I don't think it'll be by too much. Um, I will go 23-13 to San Francisco. Sam. Who are you going for tonight? Well, I might have to be a lone wolf here because I was going to go Niners, but I think every time we've all piled on one one team, I think other teams won. I think we did it in the, the warm-up podcast. I think we all backed the Bengals to beat the Browns, if I remember rightly. Browns did them. So I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I'm going to go for the Cardinals. And I'm going to say it's going to be a very low-scoring game. Cardinals win 21-17. Fair enough attack game in Monday Night Football. Adam, I've left you till the end on purpose with it being a game in your division. 49ers 5-4, and four, Cardinals 4-6. Four and six. I'm sure you're going to have a very close eye on this either through the night live or at least when you get up first thing in the morning with you being a Seahawks fan. Who have you got taking this win? Naturally, I want the Cards to win because if the Niners win, they're going to go above us in the NFC West. But I do think the Niners are going to win. 
there's no Kyler Murray, which means it's just going to be made so much easier for uh, the 49ers. And like Mudge has already said, they're a very good defense to go up against. Um, or a very tough defense to go up against, should I say. I've got 24-7 to the Niners. Happy days, happy days. We'll see what the score is in the morning. Or, well, it will already be out once uh, once this is released tomorrow. So that wraps up our weekend preview show. Lads, it's been a pleasure to have you all in for the first time as one unit. Appreciate you all listening to Loaded Sport. And again, as I said at the start, that community forum is there for anyone who wants to just chat the shit about sport. But also, if you just need someone to reach out to, we're all there. That wraps up episode six of Loaded Sport. We'll be back in the week. Uh, later in the week, sorry, for the weekend preview show where I'm sure our main talking point will be that England versus USA game Friday night. It's coming home for Christmas, lads.